Like it or not, there was one topic we could not stop talking about in 2021. That's the vaccine mandate that consumed conversations at your agency this year, every agency. So did questions about when federal employees would return to their offices. This as agencies have been setting new telework and remote policies. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco joins me now to explain why agencies are further along in answering some of those questions than they are with others, and why all of this is going to remain part of the conversation for federal employees as we head into 2022. Nicole, let's start with the vaccine mandate. There's still shreds of it hanging around. And of course, with Omicron now seeming to gain ground in the United States, some entities are bringing back vaccine mandates. They've dominated the headlines for the whole year, really. What do you expect? Are we done with this one yet? Doesn't look like it. I wish we were, because as much fun as this topic was for federal employees and contractors to debate about over the years, I mean, er, over this year, it was... um, you know, it kept us quite busy <laughs> this past year, just trying to keep up with the numerous policy updates to the vaccine requirements. I mean, it started off as get vaccinated or test. It turned into a true mandate. There are still some legal challenges, at least on the contractor side that we're watching. And so I don't necessarily think this story is going away. One, because agencies are still going through some of those medical and religious exception requests and trying to make decisions about them. At the Department of Veterans Affairs, for example, Secretary McDonough has said as clearly as possible that while they want to give as many exceptions as they possibly can, it might not be possible because if there are too many exceptions in one kind of medical specialty, they might need people more people than they can give exceptions to, to be fully vaccinated and compliant with the mandate. And so there's a possibility they might have to deny some of those that they would maybe otherwise like to give out. So there's that angle. The other angle is, I think it is a possibility that the Biden administration could add the requirement to get a booster on top of the two shots or one shot that's already part of the existing mandate. They haven't yet. Uh, Our colleague Scott Massioni has reported that the military is considering it. And I think it's possible that the Biden administration might consider that as well. And we are starting to see, I think, the European Union and areas there starting to demand a booster to be able to say that you're current with vaccination. So that could spread the opposite way across the Atlantic. And of course, that's all related to the whole reopening issue of government and addressing telework and remote work. And I think everyone thought that even as we speak, people would be rolling back into the offices. You and I discussed this a couple of days ago that looks like maybe only leadership in agencies or managerial people would be coming back because they're still negotiating all this. So what's going to happen here? What's ahead? I think when federal employees will come back to the office, it was the question of 2021. And I think it continues to be the question of 2022, perhaps unfortunately. You know, I think we would all like to be back in an environment where that is not a question on our minds. But with that question, just it unravels a whole other bunch of different topics. One is the whole telework and remote work issue, which we see the Biden administration moving pretty aggressively on, at least in some agencies. The other is just how federal employees work if they are in a hybrid environment where, say, some employees are at an office or a work site, some are working virtually somewhere else. That poses all kinds of questions about how you manage those individuals. Is there fairness in giving promotions, performance appraisals, training, development opportunities? Those are all kinds of questions that I see agencies 
try to take a stab at in their telework and remote work policies. And we are seeing some of those from individual agencies. So I think you can't answer the when employees come back to work question without having a firm grasp on what you're going to do with telework and remote work. And some of the agencies that seem a little further along in answering those questions Places like the Agriculture Department, Uh, just recently, the National Science Foundation, I think, has made some steps in that direction a little bit. And so it's going to be an ongoing question. You know, I know a lot of agencies are targeting mid-March to have all of their employees back in the office in some sense, even if they're not working there every single day. But that could change, too, you know, just based on the the variant concern that you just mentioned. And there's really then two issues kind of happening at once here that are related, but not the same strand. One is what is the health condition of the nation? What is the real danger from what is going on with this particular vaccine and its variants? Then there's the other question that expectations of when and where you work and how you work may have fundamentally shifted. So even when there is a recession in the danger from the virus, people might say, well, you know what? We did pretty darn good not being there. How about two days a week or three days a week as emerging? So related, but in some sense, separate questions. That's exactly right. And also what I heard this last year was agencies contemplate this idea where if one agency has a super generous telework or remote work policy and another agency doesn't, what happens to the agency that doesn't? Do they lose employees to the agencies that do have generous policies because they're not offering ones that they would like to have? And so that was an ongoing debate that I heard HR, chief human capital officers raise in the last year. And I think it'll continue to be one in 2022. The other factor of that, of course, is Again, how agencies manage that, how they manage the public's expectations, which for some agencies are particularly challenging. Social Security Administration comes to mind. Their field offices have been closed for going on two years. And many in Congress and many in the public think that is a problem. However, as we've reported just recently, Tom, the Social Security Administration doesn't seem close at all to having those offices open anytime soon. So a lot of factors at play, I think, on, on this particular question. Going to be a lot of cobwebs when they do get in there. And what do you see ahead for the union management debate resolution here on that very topic, that very question? So I think at most agencies, this one is a little easier to suss out in that the unions want generous telework and remote work options for their members. In many cases, the agencies do as well. And so We saw places like the Environmental Protection Agency reach new agreements on telework and remote work with the American Federation of Government Employees this last year. Other agencies are trying to finalize those agreements as well. And so I think on that end, that part is settled, is becoming more settled, I'll say. It's certainly not a done question. The one thing that I would be interested to watch in the coming year is whether or not the administration tries to pursue any real legislative changes to the way telework works in the government. There are some limitations to that right now. As of right now, under current law, federal employees have to come in to the office at least twice per pay period in order to be considered working at that particular duty station. And that has implications for their pay and and all kinds of things. And so I wonder if the Biden administration, and they have hinted at this, that they're going to explore maybe changing or trying to change some of the legislation around that. The interesting thing will be whether or not they have willing partners in that endeavor. I think there are some, especially on the Democratic side, that would be willing to 
try to push that along. I'm not so sure on the other end of the aisle there, especially as we hear complaints about offices continuing to be closed. And as the general workforce in the non-government world seems to be sifting out into those that have a lot of flexibility of where and when they work, where they work, and then those that by virtue of the nature of their jobs, driving a truck, being in a hospital, must be on location at work. You've got really two separate economies happening. I wonder at what point, you know, any administration, including this one, would face the political issue of what the public perceives as what they want for a government that's talking about better client service, better citizen services, and yet the people that the taxpayers feel they're paying for are not in their offices like, like I am doing my job. Regardless of what the reality is, there is that political issue and perceptions can be shaped by a lot of factors that are non, let's say, factual. Yes, I think that is a debate that has been going on since this started and will continue, especially at places like Social Security Administration. I've heard complaints from Congress about maybe farm service agency services and and things of that sort. I think it probably depends on where you work, what your mission is. You know, we cannot forget the almost half of the federal workforce that does work in person for the most part, as as far as we can tell from the, the data that's available. There's still a pretty big chunk of employees that do have to come in, sit in a seat or, you know, stand at a certain position and do their job. And that involves working with the public. So there's going to be a balancing act with these agencies. And hopefully the conversation will pivot less to the political implications, which we you know, certainly saw discussed this last year, and more to tangible metrics. OK, how do you know that these telework policies are really working? What specific work is getting done remotely as compared to perhaps not remotely? Is there a difference? There shouldn't be, ideally, in a hybrid work environment. I'm not sure the conversation will really pivot there just based on the political environment, but it would sure be nice if it did. Well, there are those that come home from work with pencil erasure shreds stuck to their clothes and those that, like you say, at the agriculture department come home with chicken feathers stuck to them. (laughs) So I guess that will always be the case. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out all of Nicole's coverage at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, 
And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, 
his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to to spend an assignment with uh, with backup and and guidance like that. What what great great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.